Does your inward substance match your outward shell? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith podcast, where we talk the walk, and walk it too. Let's waste zero time, Chris. <laughs> zero time, right into it. it. Yes. All right. How do you get a blind man to see? How? Generally by boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's dirty. That's a good one. I like it. <laughs> I love it. And again, all of these are stolen from different various sources. So if you happen across it anywhere, it's it's, it's not original. Right. So yeah, <laughs> there yeah. you go. We're, we're not that as most, uh, Yeah, as most dad jokes are, they're not original. Yeah, I'd love to take credit and say that we're just brilliant. We write these jokes on a weekly basis. No. But we don't. No. Maybe we should just lie. No, that wouldn't be Christian-like. We shouldn't lie about <laughs> no, it. No, no, yeah. Full transparency. <laughs> Now maybe I'll I'll maybe let you go on thinking there me for a little bit, but eventually yeah, I'll correct you on that. Before we dig into whatever you have for us, what did you think about that social media flood we got hit with? Oh man, out of nowhere. I was going to ask you. I actually got hit with some more this morning. Did you? Yeah. It's bizarre because I don't know of anybody else that is this connected with me, right. right? Even even Steph or anybody like that. And it was weird, man, because I I was praying. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've been praying this for a, a few days, but I specifically prayed a couple days ago when it started that, you know, God would let us just cast a wide net with the podcast with mm -hmm. the right intents. Right. Not for right. fame and not to advance our name, but just, you know, give us the opportunity to to cast the net out super wide. You know what I mean? To shine right. his light as, as far as we possibly can. And that that night, that evening, that's when I got bombarded with it. Mm -hmm. Just. Like I would say two to three hundred friend requests, friend requests all at once. Oh yeah. And it wasn't I I don't think it was from it was from God, but also I think from the enemy at the same time. Right. Because right. they weren't all genuine. Right. Like the vast majority of them were probably scammers or yeah. you know, other nefarious things that I won't mention on the podcast from what I saw on certain certain women that mm -hmm. were sending sending requests and stuff. But there were a handful like little nuggets in there of individuals and like that, that person's genuine. Right. You know what I mean? And if I had just mass declined everything, I wouldn't have found that person. So mm -hmm. I think there was a message in there about, right. you know, to me, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say, there was a message buried in there. Cause I know it was, it, it was a spiritual thing. Right. Because the fact that you and I got hit, I pray that prayer. And then, then you and I, of all people, we're the ones that get bombarded with it. Right. You know what I mean? You didn't break it, so I apologize to you. I, I guess I kind of no, well, caused I will, this to you. I too. will say that I didn't get hit with that many. It was quite an, a number, mm -hmm. but not that many. But it was. It seemed like it was like maybe one person in a group had gotten my name and, mm -hmm. you know, through, you know, as a bunch of scammers. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't comb through them at all. I just... I mass declined them S simply for the, you know, the fact that I, I probably 
live a little bit more socially on my page than you do yours. Right. So yours is more of a private personal page. I treat yeah. mine like a ministry, so I didn't have as big of an issue of right. accepting them and combing through it later. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But and that's what kind of for you. Yeah. That's what kind of scared me was like, generally I, I post all my, you know, all my, um, pictures as, mm-hmm. you know, friends only. Um, but you know, occasionally one slips through, like I posted on a different device or somehow, there was one where it was me and my daughter and I think, I think we were bike riding or something, but that, but all of a sudden that got like, it was like 20 or 30 likes out of the blue. Right. But it was, but it was one of the few on my page that wasn't private. So anybody, <laughs> so like somebody just went through and liked, and, and it, that's the one that scared me out of all of them. All of them got that same thing. Mm-hmm. Right, they all got that same treatment, but that one was I'm like, this is my this is my family, and where we were at tells you what area we're in. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't give me like it doesn't give people like my pinpoint location in the world, but it's close enough that it's my backyard that I don't like it enough. It makes you yeah. nervous, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah so, no doubt. Yeah, but no, I really feel like the lesson in it for me anyway. Like I like I say, there's there's a couple things that I. I'm not convinced enough that I want to share, but I think the lesson for me that he pressed on me is, you know, when you, when you cast a wide net, you got to be prepared to catch a few prawns (laughs) when you do, you know what I mean? Like, I think in your mind, you're thinking like, they're all going to be genuine seekers and that's not usually how that works. Right. So it was just interesting that I'd bring it up and get your thoughts on it. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a strange, bizarre event. Yeah. I'm still dealing with the fallout from it, to be honest with you. Right. Well, I think, as I said, I think the only, probably the only indication that I, um, that I think the reason it was me and you was, um, I think you made me administrator of our page. Mm-hmm. So it's probably, you know, you, you as the owner and then me as an administrator. It wasn't connected to our page though. Really wasn't? It was, it was just strictly on my personal profile. Odd. Mm-hmm. That's maybe, what I mean. Maybe like it's even be- other people that are connected to me didn't get hit like you did. Oh, uh, maybe it's. I was saying maybe I don't know. Maybe it's not it's like gonna... we not to interrupt. It's not like we interact with each other a lot on Facebook. Right. We interact enough in our our real life that I don't think we we do a lot. Like no. we don't comment on each other's. I read them. Right. It's not like we comment back and forth a lot or anything. Right. So it's just it's just weird, weird. that they would have yeah. picked you out of all people and you just happen to be the one sitting next to me on the podcast, which is what I was praying about. Right. That is weird because that's I thought that was the connection was was the was the the administrative rights on the on our nope. Facebook page. Hmm. Nope. Zero connection to it. Odd. Yeah. I think only one person actually joined our Facebook group. Okay. That's connected to the podcast and that was well after. Right. Like today, I think. And I think he's right. one of the ones that's actually genuine just based on the way I've interacted with him. So right. well I mean if we <laughs> casted a wide net and got a bunch of junk in one one salmon in it or whatever you're catching in that. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. guess <laughs> but, it depends on where you're at. Yeah, one, one good fish. That's it, you know, that's that's what it's there for. Well, and here's the question, too. Who needs the seeds planted more, the lost or the found? I guess that's true, too. Yeah. That was kind of a thought that hit me today. You know, I, I want, I think, the enemy's objective is to get you to, to get frustrated and discouraged and just cast the baby out with the bathwater and just forget the whole thing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that was, I think that was the goal with it because right. I'm talking a lot. We're talking like when I checked it this morning, I think it was this morning I checked it in just a 12 hour span. I had 544 friend requests Oh wow! in 12 hours. 
Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't quite experience that number, but it was quite a bit. So I'm, but maybe I'm thinking, well, maybe, uh, maybe I shouldn't have been so heavy-handed with the blocks. But who knows? Now, yours is private. Yeah, you got to do what you're. That was just my conviction. You know what I mean? And there's, there's no right or wrong there. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't, I would never tell somebody, yeah, you should accept all of them. Some of them guys are probably a little dangerous. You know what I mean? So. Um, nah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't beat yourself up about that. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> what you got for us? What's been on your heart this week? I mean, so, I mean, there's a couple of things. And again, you know, I said a couple of weeks ago that I'm going to start writing these down because I'll forget them by the time I come to the show. And, and look what I didn't come to the show with today. I'm going to buy you like Any a really, a, no, I'm going to buy you like a really nice one, don't like a really nice don't expensive notebook and it. you'll feel obligated to I'll that. lose it before we leave this building. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe if it's a gift, maybe I'll keep, cause the ones well, that I norm, the ones that I normally keep are like, you know, and I probably shouldn't be admitting this, but so we, so we have, you know, a supply closet at work mm-hmm. and I've done this where I've, you know, I'll start a notebook and I'll get like two or three pages into it and I'll take it home. Because mm-hmm. you know, I I have a mix of work from home, and for those who don't know, I have a mix of work from home now and work at work. And then I'd be like, oh man, I forgot my notebook at home, so I'll go grab another one. Yeah, <laughs> I'll write two or three pages in it, and then you know, then I'll you know forget it at work, and then I won't be able to find my one at home. Yeah. So in so facto, I'll have like five notebooks in my book bag at one time. <laughs> so I just like I'll tear like the three first three or four pages out of it and then go put it back in the supply oh. closet. Like nobody's used it. You know? I'm bad about that with my personal <laughs> notebooks. Like I'll buy one for a specific purpose and then like, it'll be long enough. I'll forget. I'll maybe use like four or five pages in it. Forget what I even had that one for. Then buy another one before you know it. I got like a whole stack of notebooks. My notes are so scattershot that I might as well not have them at all. Cause I don't all even right. know what the notes were about by all the time right. I actually, you know, round back around to them. <laughs> right on. Yeah. So, I mean, so I've been, you know, we talked about last, maybe it was last week or the week before. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but you know, we talked about our roles as uh, it was last week because Grace was on. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I was coming at it from, you know, I guess the male perspective of, you know, the one thing you are in this world is a son, mm-hmm. um, on earthly and heavenly, right? And then, but you know, that can be son or daughter <clears throat> and then the other two roles that you have in the world you know are is uh you know you're you're either a, a husband or wife and preferably in this order a husband or wife and then a mother or father sometimes right. that order doesn't necessarily work out that way but <laughs> you know no judgment here but um it all kind of pip- pinpoints or pivots if you will on the fulcrum of family. Right. right? And, um, I, I watched a very interesting sermon and it was just by some, I I fell upon it randomly as we do most things that we need. We Mm -hmm. find it randomly. Well, we, it seems random, right? We find it seemingly we found it randomly, but we were really meant to find it. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was centered around, it started out centered around the fifth commandment, you know, honor that father and mother, but then that translated into um, family and that it correlated that most of the problems that we face in America are 
directly related to removing what God set up as the family unit and removing that from society. Right. Right. So we have all these kinds of different ways that, you know, people can have their families and it's some of them, a lot of them go against God's law. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of been, you know, digging into that a little bit. So more to come on that, but I will say it brought me to, it kind of brought me to one of the things that I've, I've struggled with for a long time is, you know, and again, this is a loaded question because I know your answer, but would you rather have someone that loves you because they genuinely love you? Like, of because of who you are, how you've treated them, your compassion towards them, your demeanor with them? Or would you rather have somebody that loves you because they've been taught to because of fear? Oh, obviously, answer right. A. Obvi- right. right, obviously, right. Yeah, you'd rather have the genuine love, right? Um, so that's kind of a rabbit trail. And I'll, I think, was our next week is our open mic. Yeah. So I'll kind of elaborate that once I get my notes, because um, that kind of went haywire on me a little bit once I get my notes in line with that. But um, yeah, it all kind of, all kind of fulcrums on that family, mm-hmm. the family aspect of it. So yeah, and of course applying that to the father. Right. Right. What would he prefer? Obviously, I know that's what you're kind of getting at. You mm-hmm. know, what kind of love would he rather have? Right. Genuine love or fear-based love? Right. You know, and it's kind of funny. I just saw a, a debate between two believers today, and uh, they had wildly different ideas on it, but they were both approaching it with the same ugly heart mm-hmm. <laughs> about it. It was about eternal torment. Right. The hell debate. You know what I mean? Is, uh, you know, are we are we headed toward an eternal... Um, I guess, destruction, right? Right. A cessation of existence, mm-hmm. right? Are we in a holding place until we cease to exist after the judgment, or is it eternal torture, right? And I'm not going to get into that debate on the podcast, at least not right now. I have my views, and I keep them kind of close to the, what's the, what's the idiom? Close to the chest? Close Play, to the, Playing your cards close to the chest? There it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Cause it's I, kind of I, like gambling in the idiom, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know how people get with the topic, so I don't right. like I don't like broaching it because I don't consider it salvational. But these people were treating it like a salvational issue. I I believe in eternal destruction, and and you're a heretic if you don't. And of course, somebody else comes along and says the exact same thing, screaming at them about them being a heretic because they don't believe in eternal torment. But the reason I bring it up is because the reason the reason the individual gave for believing in eternal torture, and it was it, it really wasn't strictly biblical. The reason they hold on to it is because they feel like people would continue in their unbelief if they weren't terrified into believing by an eternal torment doctrine. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's funny you bring this up because that's kind of what I thought when I read this comment. And I'm like, is that the love that he that he's seeking though? Right. Does he just want us to love him because we're afraid he's going to torture us forever if we don't? Right. That's not my father. Right. That's not the father that I read about. Is he holy? Yes, he absolutely is. If we refuse to, you know, relinquish our wicked ways, does his holiness require a response, a judgment? We'll actually get into the topic of judgment here in a minute. Not not a detail, just a, right. I kind of want to, what I wanted to talk about on this top half is related to judgment, right? But, and grace, but is that the sort of love he desires from us, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. In a roundabout way. 
You know, is he just mm-hmm. trying to terrify us into into loving him? Right. Like I say, yes, he's holy. Yes, his holiness requires a response if we refuse to relent. But repeatedly throughout the text, you see him immediately forgiving when we repent. So obviously his desire isn't for that. His desire is that he loves us and he wants us to love him back. But can't be a fear-based love. I guess what I'm trying to say is your your attitudes on certain doctrines like that shouldn't be based on that sort of an opinion. It should be right. strictly based upon the text. Right. What does the text tell us? Can you prove out your position based upon the word of God? If not, maybe your position needs some amending. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's funny. So, so that kind of gives me confirmation of one of the rabbit trails I was going to discuss. And so, uh, We'll we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and follow that rabbit trail because that's that's a pretty. Let me grab a twenty-two. Sorry, that's a it's a pretty spooky <laughs> confirmation that that you bring. I don't say spooky. I shouldn't say spooky. It's pretty on the nose mm-hmm. that you say that. You know, that's the kind of that's the kind of love that you know that God wants from us is is uh, not fear based. Right. So, in 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 walking this out, and again, I can't tell you exactly how I got here, but but I got to. Um, the tradition of Rumspringa. Okay. Yeah. So for those of you unfamiliar with, with what Rumspringa is, it's an Amish tradition where young, young women, men and women coming of age, coming of age. And it does, there's no set age. There's no set time. It's just whenever they get to be of, of that nature of, of, you know, 15, 16 years old, they leave their family for a time. And again, it's not a specified time. Sometimes they, they leave for one night. Sometimes they leave for a week. It's kind of scattered between the different groups. Do they decide when they come back? Does it, does, does a group determine when they come back or d- does the individual on Rumspring decide? When I they haven't return? really walked that out that much. I was just curious. <laughs> I just, I don't know, but I, I do know that from what I, from what I have kind of looked into it, um, is it, it's not, you know, one day it's, it's not specified. They do have to come back eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that they're given like an exact time. Okay. Right. Like if you don't come back in a week, don't come back at all. I don't right. think it's that. Um, I think some, maybe some groups do have like, okay, you're only allowed out one night, you know? Um, but the, the, the point was I, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, I was like, I, I wondered, well, I wonder what the statistic is of, young Amish people that come back to that come back from Rome Springer. Like know, com- comparative to how many stay to, away. To how many stay away. How many stay out in the English world mm-hmm. as they call it. He did air quotes for those air, of you that air, can't see. And that's sorry. everybody, by the way. Yeah. Everybody can't see. Can, can, you, can, <laughs> can you hear him? <laughs> but um no yeah. So and it was actually it was kind of surprising. It's I think the 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 earliest or latest number that I could find was in 2015, and that percentage was 80 percent. 80 percent come back. 80 percent come back. Wow, that's higher than I would have imagined. Right, actually. and so I don't know if you know social media made that dip real bad because they did say that social media plays a a, a heavier role in Rome Springer because they can get they can get word out faster. Mm-hmm. So they can get it's they can have bigger parties, which leads to more debauchery and right. So I'm sure like the numbers have declined, but in 2015, like I said, that was the latest I could find. Um, but then you know the same article that I was reading, 
And again, I have all this wrote down of the article that I found, so I can <laughs> I can prove it that I read it somewhere. Um, you know, they the the Amish um, hierarchy was concerned that those, and they didn't give this statistic, but those teens that were coming back were coming back for the wrong reasons, and. Because in the Amish faith that they're taught that if you're not in the Amish faith, you're going to hell. I didn't know that. Period. It doesn't matter how devoted to God you are. It doesn't matter, you know, how pure your life is. If you are outside the Amish faith, you're going to hell. Yeah, I didn't know that. I've talked to some Amish guys and known some, but I've never really talked about their faith specifically. Now, I don't know if that's... By and large, you know, how, because, you know, there's different orders, right? So, and they're kind of unique that way. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's like a blanket statement, but it's from what I read, it was. It's general. General, Mm -hmm. right? So there were, there was concerns that, you know, these teens were coming back based on fear, not because they had a genuine love for God or for their faith but because they were afraid. Mm-hmm. Been taught right? their whole life been that they're going to rot in hell if they don't come back. Exactly, so. right. Mm-hmm. So that so the so that I I kind of thought well, then what's the statistic on people English or the Amish that come back from Runspringa and then eventually leave again mm-hmm. because they came back for the wrong reasons, right? So that kind of led you know that leads to the trail of, you know, do do we teach our kids because, you know, we're as as fathers, you know, we're the closest thing that we have for our children on earth to reflect a heavenly, you know, love, right? The love right. of our father is reflected through us, right? We're not perfect, so we don't emulate it 100%, but we're the closest example that they have. So, you know, it's it's harder for a younger child that doesn't have that example to fathom what 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 a heavenly father's love is right right so and you know and that kind of led to the 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 rabbit trail of you know do do we want our our children to love us because it's a it's a genuine love or do or do we do it or because it's gonna it's gonna fail if you do it through fear right eventually you know they're gonna see and this this isn't what you know this isn't what God wants, mm-hmm. right? It's not. It's not what God teaches, and that so that kind of teaching falls through, right? If we if we do it through fear rather than love, right? Right. So, and you know, I would say it's important to it's important to separate the concepts of correction with the overarching love, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, we we approach our our children as human fathers. If they do something wrong in a specific area, we correct them, right? Right, and and we we do use fear. Because, you know, the correction, the punishment, the penalty is, that, you know, as a child, you're afraid of the spanking, right? right. Or you're, you're afraid of the timeout. You don't, you don't want to deal with the consequence for the error. But if you're, if you're a good parent, there's never a fear of rejection. Right. You know what I mean? The love is always there, even through the correction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we kind of like miss the mark a little bit in how we understand our Heavenly Father. He'll correct us. Right. Right. And he will use fear to correct us sometimes. Right. We do see that biblically, but he continues to love us. 
right? Mm-hmm. If, if we're committed Absolutely. to him and we we love him, he loves us, right? Right. So, and I think that's where we kind of go wrong a little bit. I think we conflate the ideas of rejection with correction, mm-hmm. right? And the ones he rejects are the ones that are firmly committed in their heart to rebel and reject, rebel against and reject him. Right. And that's different because they're rejecting sonship or daughtership with him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He exactly. wants to be their father, but they're saying, no, I don't want to be your child. I refuse to be. I never want to be your child. So he gives them what they want. <laughs> right. Right. Essentially, he's giving them what they want. It's their rumspringa, I guess you could say. If, you know, he gives them the opportunity to walk away from him like a prodigal. And mm-hmm. if they choose not to pivot and walk back again, that's their choice. They chose to stay separated from him. Right. You know, mm-hmm. but if they walk away and they engage in some bad practices and they're like, this isn't for me, I really want to be back in my father's house, he'll bring him back into the fold again. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty kind of a cool analogy that you bring it up with Rumspringa. You know right. what I mean? Because I think that's sort of how the father approaches us. He gives us that chance to walk and stumble and stray. Right. But he's always there to bring us back mm-hmm. if we choose to come back. Absolutely. If we choose to walk into perdition, that's on us. He didn't choose that for us and he didn't push us in that direction. Right. I think he's always standing there with his hand beckoning, beckoning us back. You know, we make the decision whether we ignore that or not. Exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah. And, and then, you know, and and this is what kind of, you know, caught my attention, you know, during the sermon as well, is he is he brought it back to the um, the 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 story of the prodigal son. Awesome. Which, you know, it's, it's such a powerful story and we've gone over it on the podcast before. Um, but you know, he made a, he made a very good observation that I I never kind of thought of it this way before is he's like, you know, everybody knows it as the story of the prodigal son, but it can also be known as the story of the gracious father. Yes. You know, absolutely. And and the way that the father poured out his love on his son that had come back is the same way that our father pours out his love on us as prodigal sons and daughters because no 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 matter what at some point in your life you've been that prodigal son yes every one of us probably right? more than once probably more than once so and then he also and that's what he also kind of said too was he was like you know i he's like it can also be i think the prodigal sons Mm -hmm. because you know the father had two sons the one that went astray and befouled his name and spent his fortune and then come back ragged but then he also had another son that stayed with him and you know did everything that his father asked him to but when when the prodigal son returned he had hate in his heart for that for the other son yeah the brother for his brother right so there, in a way, even even the one that that seemed to be right in the story was still, in effect, a prodigal son. Yeah, even because though he it, stayed, he still strayed. Yeah, because it took his father saying, "You know, remember, remember what I've given you, not what you haven't got." Right. Right. Because your brother never got those things that you. You know what I mean? So no, like, I know exactly what you mean. So it's all you know. It's I was like. It just, it kind of really spoke to me that I've been, you know, been thinking about the, you know, the family unit as it were in, in the Christian faith. And then it led from that to then, then, you know, so I stopped it and I was like, okay, 
I got, I got, I got to process this. And then I kept watching <laughs> it. And then he brings up the prodigal son. I was like, okay, I got to stop this again. I got to process this a little bit more. So it's just really neat to see those, you know, connections through. Yeah, I think that's. We should go through the prodigal son again because I think when we did that, that was an old restoration roundtable episode. Yeah. It's not available anymore, and it probably won't get re-uploaded. There was. That was one of the first ones he did. I think it was the first one we did. There were too many ums for me from my liking. I don't think. That's yeah, it was. A, it was a pretty. <laughs> I would say it was a pretty long one. Yeah. I wonder. I want to do like maybe that might be like special content. Is if we just take that one and we cut out all the ums. Oh man! And take put them three on, hours to and do like, that. And like put it on one track. Yeah. <laughs> see how long it is. Like fifteen minutes of Carl's ums. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. But <laughs> no, because I, I think going, I would. Uh... Yeah. Because I would probably approach it a little different. I mean, the same, you know, spiritual principle, but I think I would, I, you always get something different out of it. You know what right. I mean? When you approach it, depending on what season of your life you're in. And that's one mm -hmm. thing that, you know, I like that you, you said that pastor mentioned or that the speaker mentioned was the, the story of the gracious father. I think we, we read it and we see ourselves in the prodigal son. So we treat the prodigal son like the central figure, right. but really the central figure in that story is the father. Mm -hmm. He's, it's really Jesus teaching us about our father. We already know we're prodigals. He doesn't need to teach us that. <laughs> I think right. we get that. You know what I mean? If we're being honest with ourselves, mm -hmm. but I think he's trying to teach us how our father approaches us when we do take that step to get on the road and clean ourselves off and walk back home. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And I think it's important to recognize him as the central figure there because the father should be central in everything. He should always be our central figure. Right. You know, if we're approaching our faith correctly, he's always going to be the center of everything. Absolutely. Got anything else? Yeah, got kind of, it's kind of a little tidbit, but um, so, you know, I noticed where, and this is, uh, this is really switching gears. So get ready for the shift. Oh, okay. It's, I'm it's, sitting down. We're it's good. hard. <laughs> um, so I've been trying to get back into the gym, you know, in the mornings, Monday mornings are always hard, mm -hmm. right? You know, we've had a long weekend and, you know, and relative to my job and, you know, getting here on time and everything, I, I get up around the hour of three, three thirty in the morning. So it's kind of hard, right? So, you mm -hmm. know, get a good night's sleep. But what I will say I've noticed is how easier it is to make healthier decisions all day long. If I do push myself to get up and go in the morning to the gym, right? Cause it's like, you just put you just put yourself through that for like an hour and a half and then you're gonna go eat a cheeseburger at lunch. <laughs> Don't do that, man. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, you know, and so I kinda kinda got my head spinning about, you know, I think that's kind of why it's for me it's important to have some kind of devotional in the morning. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have devotional, you know, they some do three or four in a day, but I always think it's one of those things where, you know, when you get up and even though it's hard and you, and you kind of you're tired and sleep in your eyes and you don't want to do it. But if you're, if you put that devotion in, I think it's easier for you to maintain. I don't want to say a, a sin free lifestyle. Cause I don't think that's possible, right? but it's easier for you to make those decisions. I think throughout the day, so keep, keep you mindful of your course. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I that. So, I don't know, just a little tidbit. Yeah. Kind of kind of working on that one, you know, so. I'm one of the ones that spreads it out a little. There's one that I'll read in the morning to kind of like, you know, 
set my course right. like we just talked about. And there's there's others that I'll read later because I think it gives him an opportunity to speak and give confirmation. Mm-hmm. Confirmations to it quite a lot. And it helps me to know, you know, I guess it's my fleece. You right. know what I mean? One of the fleeces that I throw out to him, you know, if, you, if you're telling me this, if this is what you're pressing on me, give right. me some confirmation and usually I get it. So, and that's just one of the opportunities that he takes to do that for me as, you know, it's, it's not a one size fits all thing. That's just what I do. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those, it's the, it's the adage of, you know, I, I, I can't remember the speaker's name, but it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty popular, it's a commencement speech from a, a Navy officer to, to his former, I think it's his former college. But one of the principles that, you know, he goes through this whole big long list, but one of them is, you know, the first thing that the military does, or he did in the military or in, in Navy SEAL training was make a bed. First thing you do when you get out of bed is you make your bed. Mm-hmm. That kind of sets the course, you know, for your whole day. Right. Yeah. It's it, you know, and at the end of the day, if you can't, if you can't point to anything that you got accomplished in that day, at least, you know, you got that accomplished. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and, and that's why I kind of carry forward is, you know, even if, even if I didn't have the best day as far as, you know, my walk with God, at least it's, I can say I spent this time with you. Right. Like it's, it's kind of like my way of, of taking what, like putting him first. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, even if it's just five minutes, at least during that time of the day, you were the focus. Yeah. You right? were aligned correctly there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's all I got, man. What's, uh, what grinds your gears this week? Well, he's had a lot on me the past few days and I don't know what I'm really ready to talk about yet, to be honest, because there's a lot of it that I'm still kind of processing. Mm-hmm. But uh, one thing that's been on me that I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about, see what you, if you have any input on, is those occasions when Jesus steps in our path and gets in our way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Has that ever happened to you? What does that mean to you when I say, you know, Jesus gets in our way sometimes? What does that mean to you? I mean, I, I think some people can, can... I don't know. I guess there could be a negative implement and inclinate and I'm going to get the music, a negative inclination to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I came up with that word pretty quick. Maybe (laughs) I won't get the music for that one. No, you want this not enough time, (laughs) but, um, so, I mean, you could view it as, you know, if Jesus is standing in your way of something that you want to do, Mm -hmm. that could be like, you know, any other person, or any other obstacle that's in your way of something that you want to do, that could be, and you could be, you could be upset about that. But also at the same time, there could be a very good reason that he is in your in your way. Oh, I would say a hundred percent of the time, there's a good reason he gets in your way. Right? right. You know, it's kind of like you know, kind of like you know what I talked about last week. You know, we're so we're so quick to turn around and be mad that he pushed us down that we don't even see the truck that he pushed us out of the way of right you know and i mean it can be you know it's 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 what is what is he standing in between and between what is he putting himself in between you and him right right 
I think what I had in mind, yeah, I just like I said, I just wanted to get your input on what. Well, when I say that, just vaguely, right. where does your mind go? Because there's no real wrong answer. I right? can't. Okay, so and, and let me say, let me say this before you go. For some reason, <laughs> in my mind, I get like this this uh, like this image of like like Jesus literally standing in front of you with one arm out. And like a hand going, like gesturing you, like pointing nope, the other way, go this way, detour this, you know, like yep. a, like kind of like a traffic or, oh man, I hit my mic. Sorry about that. <laughs> but kind of like a, like a police officer, like directing traffic. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, you, like don't a wanna, cop, yeah, yeah. you don't want to go this way. Believe me, it's not good. You know. Well, and that's exactly what I had in my mind when I was like meditating on it, when he pressed it on me is, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're going a direction and it's not good, even when you think it might be okay. Right. And he, he does, he interrupts you, right? He interrupts your day, gets in your way and stops you in your course to set you on the, on a better path, mm-hmm. right? That's really what he did for me, for sure. Like I, I thought I was headed in an okay direction. I've kind of talked about this before in the podcast, but man, he got in my way real hard right? <laughs> and, well, and real uncomfortably. So I'm gonna, glad he did. I was going to ask you, that was when me, my next question was, has he ever you know, gotten into your past to the point of it's uncomfortable. Cause yes. I mean, speaking from a personal aspect, I can point to a couple of times where I've had a friend that's, I've had to get in their way physically mm-hmm. and be like, Hey, you're, this isn't good. This isn't, and it was uncomfortable and it was, you know, it was kind of, it was harsh, but that was what needed to be done. Yeah. He had to let me hit rock bottom. Right. To a point where I had no no one else to cry to in genuineness but him, right? And that's when he really pressed me and I guess refashioned me mm-hmm. would be the right way to put it. Mike has said recently, and I really liked it, that sometimes sometimes if you're a cracked pot, the potter has to, uh, clay pot is what right. we, we have in mind here. Sometimes if you're a cracked pot, the potter has to break you down into pieces, melt you down, and reform you again. Mm-hmm. And that's going to hurt, you know? And that's what he did for me. I know I'm kind of mixing analogies, getting the way of the road, it's breaking so, pots, same stuff. No, it's so weird that you mentioned that because that actually was another rabbit trail that I, that I followed. Yeah, is we always talk about, um, we always talk about like the the smelting analogy, yeah, and, and the forging analogy. But one analogy that I've that I always liked from and and I and I th- I I can probably trace it directly back to my dad really liking the the song um he doesn't throw the clay away yes i'm not sure if that's the name of the song but it's that's the sense of it that he that he remolds you over and over and over again and i got something for the end of it for the end of the podcast for, oh, okay. my, for my wrap-up based on that for the whole and not just this segment not the just the end. whole segment for awesome. the, yeah for my final thought so I'm going to come back to that. And that's kind of another confirmation that you would bring that up randomly. That's awesome. I, I was, think Mike it. Because <laughs> I was thinking that last week of, you know, that's, we always, and, you know, it's forging is such a hard and, and hot and sweaty and brutal and bang, 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 bang mm-hmm. process. And that, that can be good in its own time, but also, but I think there's also times where he, he knows that we might not need such hard you know remolding whereas if you look at that where it's you know he i always think of like putting the you know putting the clay back into a pile and mixing it and putting it back onto a 
spinning table and yes. gently pulling you back into a, a form jar, right? That's yes, so exactly much more, mind. so much more like finesse that goes into that than it is just hammer and bang, bang. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even though it hurts in the, in the beginning because right. you have to be broken down, right? right? You have to be broken down and and melted back down again so he can form you back up. Right. But he's forming you into something better than you were before if you submit to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do think I, I love the analogy, too. And I really think that the the broken pot being refashioned analogy is probably better for believers that have stumbled or strayed. I think maybe the the refining metal analogy is is a is a better analogy for those that are outside of the faith coming in mm-hmm. and have to be, you know, melted down and have all those impurities taken out. Right. You, you know, and like I said, I'm not saying that's necessarily what I'm saying is that that, that distinction is biblical because you see him use those analogies interchangeably. You know, for for mm. for straying believers and non-believers both, but I don't know. For believers, I love the broken pot analogy. Right. I really do. When you come to unbroken, if you surrender to it, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes to heal you, he has to hurt you. Sometimes if you come with a broken bone that's you know hasn't it started to set, you have to re-break it. Right. Right. And I think that's how we come to him. Sometimes we you know we go on our own way, and we injure ourselves through the things that we've done, but we didn't come to him right away so our bones started to set but they didn't set right right so mm-hmm. when we come back to him i think sometimes he has to re-break us right to to set us straight again mm-hmm. and i think that's sort of the analogy we give this broken pot biblically speaking i think what i had in mind with the jesus getting in the way you know, there's a couple of examples we could look at the emmaus road experience from mm-hmm. luke 24 when it's after jesus is risen and some of his uh uh this is not the not the eleven disciples that were left, but some of the other believers trying to wrap their mind around it, but they don't quite believe yet. Right. And he uh in that encounter he he joins with them. They're they're walking on the road to Emmaus and they're talking about the events and then Jesus comes to him, but he conceals his identity. Right. So they don't recognize him. So he, he comes to him appearing as somebody else. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, an example of him getting in our way a little bit. He's trying to break their unbelief. But I think the best example is the Damascus the Damascus Road experience for Paul in Acts chapter 9. And read that, those of you listening. I'm not going to read the whole thing out, but it's an awesome, it's an awesome account. So it's, it's when, when Paul is still murdering and arresting Christians right. or believers. Uh, I think they call him Nazarene at the time, but... You know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. right? He, so he's on his way to Damascus, and he's got rich, rich for arrest, and he's 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 fresh off of murdering Stephen, mm-hmm. essentially. And it it even says, if I remember the wording, it depends on the translation you look at, but in the very beginning of Acts chapter 9, it says that Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the believers. To give you an idea of his heart condition then. So I think sometimes we have this idea about Paul before his conversion. That he was just, and there's some truth in this, but we have this idea that he was just a righteous Jewish leader that viewed the believers as blasphemers. So he was just obeying the law to eradicate them, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of create this notion that he's just a law-keeping Jew that's doing what the law says and stoning blasphemers to death, right? Right. But that line at the beginning of Acts 9 tells me a different story. Breathing out murderous threats that just screams anger and fury and hate to me which is not lawful mm-hmm. there was something deeper to what paul was doing at this point in his life something a bit more sinister 
mm-hmm. I think. Right? I don't think this was yeah. a lawful act. I think they were using the law to justify their hate. But they weren't using the law properly. Right. And that would include Paul here. And what happens, I'm just going to paraphrase this, right? Not, not paraphrase, but summarize this. Mm-hmm. He's on his way to Damascus, breathing out these murderous threats. And Jesus appears to him in the road. Literally gets in his way. Right. right, stops him dead in his tracks and says, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And then blinds him. And if I remember right, he was blinded for three days. And what's so cool about that to me, just as a little bit of a, of a side note on that account, that would mean that Jesus appeared to him, right, in his way. Mm-hmm. And then right after that blinds him, so the very last thing that Paul saw was Jesus in his glory, the Son of God in glory the one he was persecuting, the very last thing, and then blinds him for days, which means that image was burned in Paul's retina, and it was the last thing he saw. So I imagine for days, that's the only thing in his mind's eye he could see. Right. I think he was teaching Paul how to stop walking by sight and to walk by faith. He was teaching Paul in a very uncomfortable way what it means to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and only him. Right? Right. And it completely changed Paul's course. So, like, what you were talking about, about Jesus, like, literally standing in front of you, holding his hand out and pointing another direction, I think that's pretty close to what he did with Paul here. Right. Gets right in his path, holds his hand out, says, you better stop. Sick of it. Right. <laughs> I, got, I got plans for you, Paul, but you need to stop what you're doing because it's evil. Right. It's essentially what he does and then puts him through a really uncomfortable process. Right. That's what I have in mind for Jesus getting in our way. Right. And that's... I didn't have quite an overwhelming event like that, like a vision or anything like that. But, you know, that's similar to what he did with me. I was on a bad, bad road and he got in my way. And I think, too. Actually, I think I'll save that for for another discussion because it's a little bit of a it's a rabbit trail, but it's a longer one. I don't think I want to go on it just yet. But. uh, I think essentially what Jesus is doing when he does that. Tony Evans has a uh, a quote. I watched it the other day and I loved it. And he said that there's a space of time. And he was talking about Jonah, right, in the, in mm-hmm. the sermon. He's talking about Jonah going to Nineveh. But he says that biblically speaking, and he's right about this, whenever God, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing him, but he says there's, there's always a space between judgment declared and judgment applied. He always gives a space of time in between, right? Mm-hmm. So he'll declare judgment. He'll say, your way is evil. What you're doing is wrong. It, it's, it's deserving of my judgment. But then he gives this grace period before he actually applies the judgment. He does it every time. Every time he does this. I, I can't think of, a, of an occasion where he doesn't do this. There might be a couple outliers, but I think in those, those instances, you can probably point to the individual as just being so overwhelmingly evil and black of heart that the grace period wouldn't have done any good anyway. Right. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that grace period is his, it's, it's an actionable representation of just how desirous he is to forgive and restore us. Kind of harkens back to what we talked about, what you, what you brought up in the very beginning Mm -hmm. with love, loving father. He gives that grace period because he doesn't want to apply the judgment. He really doesn't. And I think that's what, when Jesus gets in our way, I think that's what he's doing. I think that's what he did with Paul. I think it's what he did with me. I think he's saying, you're headed for judgment. What you're doing right now is worthy of judgment. What you're doing right now 
is deserving of destruction. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give you a space. I'm going to give you a space of time to repent and change your way, to go the direction I'm pointing you to go. Right. And if you do that, then we'll forget the whole thing. <laughs> right. Forget this all happened. There'll be no judgment applied. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have with Paul. That's what happened with Paul. He was headed toward judgment for sure, but it was never applied because he changed his direction. Exactly. He chose to walk with him. It's just an awesome, powerful thing. And just as a side note, I will I will take this rabbit rabbit chase a little bit. This is what's meant by being under grace. That phrase is so misused by the churches and has been for centuries. They'll say under grace, and they say, well, that means we don't have to obey the law. Because we're under grace, not law now. Okay, the judgment is declared because what? What are we doing when we're deserving of judgment? We're heading down the wrong path. We're disobeying what? Disobeying the law. The law. Yeah. Right. That's what that's what makes us deserving of the there. judgment. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> no, you're fine. I shouldn't that to you. It's not fair. <laughs> when he when he declares judgment, it's because we're disobeying the law. The grace period between that and judgment being applied is to get us to turn back to what? To obeying the, to law, the law. Right? You see how nonsensical that is then to say that being under grace means we're no longer under law so we can disobey it? Essentially, what we're saying there is the judgment we deserve is because we disobey the law, but because we're in this period of grace, we get to disobey the law. Well, that doesn't make any sense because it's disobeying the law that put us on the course toward judgment to begin with. Exactly. That, that, That leads us in the direction of a God that just is kind of nonsensical. When You know, when you say things like that to a nonbeliever, they see through it. They see through how irrational that is. And they, they recognize how, how nonsensical that is, and they reject it based upon the premise of it being nonsense. Right. Because it is. Right. And it's not, well, not to interrupt, but it's, no, right. you can't verify it scripturally. You know, throughout the text, he always declares judgment because we're disobeying, but it's when we repent from our disobedience that he X's out the application of judgment. That's always how he operates. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, as I say, I mean, it, it, I, I always find that it leads back to, well, if 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 all I have to do is just repent of my sins and I'm and I'm good to go, once saved, always saved, then why don't I just keep doing what I want to do my whole entire life and right before I'm ready to go? You know what I mean? Like I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you know, like right before right before it's all said and done, I repent and I'm good to go. I can walk right in the gates. That's essentially what I can live my whole entire life the way I want to. Exactly. And then just at the end, um oh, Sorry, God. And then I'm good. That's essentially what Constantine the Great did. And that's another rabbit chase that I'm not willing to get into right now because we just don't have the time to dive into it. We might have a whole discussion on that sometime in the future. But he was essentially a sun god worshiper. And a lot of these church, the Christian doctrines that we have are based upon the Council of Nicaea that Constantine convened. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these ideas are based upon the ideas that he pushed on that council and that his son pushed at the Council of Laodicea later. And that just became mainstream church doctrine over the course of centuries. The problem with that is he was a sun god worshiper. And he was he was pushing ideas onto the church that made him comfortable in his form of worship. Right. But he was famous for n- not wanting to be baptized until he was closer to his death, like on his closer to his deathbed experience, because he, he wanted to make sure that he could sin as much as he wanted to leading up to it mm-hmm. and then be baptized so it'd all be washed away and then he'd be he'd be good. So he could live however he wanted, then get baptized at the last minute, like a like an eleventh hour baptism. Right. To just cover all the sin. 
Well, what kind of heart condition does that demonstrate? Exactly. Right. Got you know, you're not going to go to hell because <laughs> you you sin and stumble after your baptism. But if your heartfelt desire is to sin as much as you possibly can to get away with as much as you want, or, or to get away with as much as you can against God's will, and then say I'm sorry right before you die. If there's no genuine repentance of that heart condition, that heart condition is probably going to lead you to destruction. Exactly. That's not good. And it's definitely not good to draw our doctrine from somebody like that. Exactly. Right. But I want to read where that reference of under grace comes from real quick, just to kind of make my point. And it comes from Romans chapter 6, and it's verses 14 and 15. The reason I want to read this is because I think you'll see when I read it out that there's a little bit of this that they leave out when they say that under grace means we're not under law. So a full rendering of this, and it's the Tree of Life version, it says this, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Let me read that first part again real quick. For sin shall not be master over you. What is sin, by the way? Breaking the law. Breaking the law. They just sort of cite the B side of that verse. You're not under law, but under grace. And leave out the A side that says, sin shall not be master over you. And then they leave out this next verse that says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Now, when you read that all out, what does it sound like Paul's saying? Does it sound like he's saying we're under grace now, so we can just ignore the law and continue sinning as Absolutely much as we want? Not. No, they kind of they kind of pose a rhetorical question. Well, they 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 say, you know, you know, breaking sinning is breaking the law, and that basically breaking the law won't be master over you. But then they then they pose the rhetorical question at the end. So, do you think we should go? Break the law, you know? Right. You know, no, of course not. Right. You shouldn't live that way. Yeah. There's there's a deeper implication of what Paul's really saying. Paul's the last person that we should be cherry-picking verses because Paul was such a high thinker, and he had such an intimate knowledge of of the law and of the prophets. The guy had it memorized, right? Mm-hmm. We, we know what kind of process you went through to become a Pharisee or to become a rabbi or, or even to be a disciple of a rabbi back then. By the age of 10, you had to have the entire law. That means Genesis through uh, the first five books of the Bible. So all the all the books that Moses wrote. By the time you were 10, you started at six years old, and by the time you were 10, you had to have that memorized. Memorized. And then if you continued on in your study, by the time you were 14, you had to have the rest of the prophets memorized. That's the process that Paul went through. Right. This guy knew his Bible better than every single Christian listening to this does. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. There's not one of us that knew it better than him. And not only did he have it memorized, he understood the concepts of it. He understood right. it at a conceptual level that we don't grasp. And that's what he's explaining in his letters. So when you read his letters with a with a doctrinal a Christian doctrinal bias that just rejects what he had memorized and what he's explaining, and you read his letters without even bothering to study what he's explaining, you're not going to understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're you're going to apply you're gonna misapply what he's saying in his letters as confirmation bias for your own opinion about what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. It's backwards, is what I'm saying. You have to understand the base of what he's describing, 
what he's extrapolating from before you can understand what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And we don't do that. We just say, we're not under grace now, we're under, we're under law, and ignore the overarching context of what he's really talking about there. Does that kind of make sense, what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. At some point, maybe we can do like, I don't know, I've thought about it, I've toyed around with it, maybe we can do a series on Paul. Mm-hmm. We'd have to round back to our intent series. I would say we got to finish up the, <laughs> the two that we have open right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> I do apologize. Well, I think we're pretty much done with Malachi because the only thing we yeah. had left was the tithe. That was the only reason I didn't round back to that because I didn't, I didn't want to address that yet. But uh, the intent series, just for those of you listening, for those that actually listen to all of our episodes, I haven't <laughs> abandoned it. I haven't forgotten about it. Just it's this, the spirits laid on us, these topics that we've kind of dug into the past couple of weeks. And I think these topics are important for properly understanding the next part of the intent series, which is the golden calf rebellion and what that led to. I I think it's, I think it's important to understand sanctification properly Mm -hmm. before we get into that. So I haven't forgotten about it. Right. (laughs) All that, you know, like I said, there's been a couple of, we missed a couple of weeks due to unforeseen circumstances. And then that leads us to, you know, some of these other more exploratory episodes. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how many more series I'm going to do because I think, I, I don't know. I like to give the spirit room to move. And I think sometimes when you when you lock yourself down to a multi-week series, it doesn't give him room to move, but I promise you he's going to force you to move anyway, and then you just right. have to midway abandon the series, and then people get irritated right. with you. So right. <laughs> just to avoid that in the future, maybe we won't again. Right on. But a series on Paul would be fun. Not a like hard and fast, we have to do it every single week type of series, but maybe mm-hmm. go through like some of the most misunderstood references from Paul, I think would be important Absolutely. to do from, from Galatians, especially and in, in some of these throwaway verses, like from Romans that people just cherry pick out. What does it really mean that the law was nailed to the cross? By the way, spoiler alert, the word law in Greek doesn't appear in that verse. <laughs> so I think some of those right. would be kind of fun, but I think it's important. But right now I think what we're doing with these episodes is equally as important. Absolutely. So if you don't have anything, I just want to close out this first segment with this next reference. And I think it, it applies to what I'm talking about, God getting in our way. So, and I, I turned straight to it the other day and it really hit like a brick. It really did. Cause I turned in Steph's Bible and she had something written in the margin that really hit me hard. And it was while I was kind of pondering this when it gets in your way concept. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's Ezekiel chapter 16. And it's the famous Israel as a harlot chapter mm-hmm. where God really chastises the nation state of Israel as a people group for their sin. And he uses the uh, analogy of, a, of an adulterous wife. And it's mm-hmm. a really long chapter. And I'm not going to read it, but he graphically describes their adultery. Right. Mm-hmm. He goes back and forth between describing their actual sin, which we've talked about before. It was they were idol worshiping. They were sacrificing children. They were mm-hmm. neglecting the poor and needy in their in their community. They were just almost every sin stone they could turn. Yeah. They were upturning. Almost, to, yeah, almost every debauchery was being practiced. Absolutely. And like I say, he likens it to adultery because mm-hmm. repeatedly throughout scripture, he likens his people to a wife. Exactly. Now, that's why yeah. we've used the term marriage covenant f- before for the, the covenant at Sinai in Exodus 19 and 19 through 31. Mm-hmm. We've been digging into it's a marriage covenant. Right. It emulates marital vows, right? And when we stray, he describes us as committing adultery. 
Well, he describes this adultery, and then he even goes so far as to say that she's behaved like a harlot, like a prostitute. Right. But then he takes it one step further and says, but you're even worse than a prostitute because you don't even take money. In fact, you pay your lovers to abuse you, is what he accuses mm-hmm. Israel of doing. Right. Like I say, he goes, it's a really long chapter, and he goes, he goes on and on. <laughs> right. He's really mad. And he says he's bringing judgment down. He, mm-hmm. he declares the judgment. And to a degree, the judgment was applied because by Ezekiel's time, Ezekiel was in the captivity, right? Mm-hmm. He was in Babylon right. when he started seeing his visions. So the, the judgment had been applied to a degree, but there was a greater judgment that was promised if they didn't repent. The captivity mm-hmm. was, was more of a correction. Right. It was a corrective measure, right? There was a greater judgment coming if they didn't right. return. And this was the kind first, of that grace period. Yes, that grace period. It's like he, he gets in their way. The captivity was him getting in their way and mm-hmm. stopping them, right? Right. He took their nation away, put him in a captivity, held his hand out in front of him, said, you need to stop. I'm mm-hmm. going to take your nation away because you having a nation is giving you too much freedom to sin. Yep. So I'm going to stop you and force you to think for a while. And this is what's coming if you don't listen to me, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets in their way. And he gives them this grace period. And then... This is what really hit me at the very end of the chapter. In verse 42, it says this, after he describes all this, all his fury and anger at him, he says, so I will calm my fury against you. This is after it's done. And my jealousy will turn away from you. Then I will be quiet and angry no longer. I'm sorry, that's the middle part. I read my notes wrong. Ugh. So in the middle part of the judgment, then he hits that he hit he hits him with this. It's in it's in verse sixty three that I actually wanted to read. Let me see if I can make a cut on that. I'm just going to repeat that, right? And hopefully, I can. Cut I mean, that I mean, I don't know if maybe maybe if you don't want to cut that because I mean I mean that's I mean that's important, right? That that he has that I'm gonna turn my anger aside you know, I got in your way I'm a cheap I mean you're the editor I'll be quiet so you can get your pause no 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 <laughs> I you know I'll just leave this you see those of you listening some of the behind the scenes stuff <laughs> we'll just leave this in because I think maybe I was supposed to to read that part because I think it is I think that is kind of powerful because like I say he goes through this whole this whole description of them as an adulterous wife mm-hmm but then in the middle of the chastisement, he does say that. I'll calm my fury against you. But then he starts chastising him again because he's still kind of mad. Right. right. It's almost like him coming back and being, you know what? And another thing. Right. Yeah. You know, I forgot yeah. about this. I forgot about this. Right? But then. At which the, he didn't really forget. Which, no, he didn't yeah. really forget. I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. But then in the end of the chapter, let me read the end of the chapter because it's really powerful. For thus says Yahweh God, I will do to you just as you have done since you despise the oath by breaking the covenant. It's that marital covenant he's talking about. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. Moreover, I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and younger sisters. I will give them to you for daughters, yet not because of your covenant. So I will establish my covenant with you and you will know that I am Yahweh. So you will remember, be ashamed, and never open your mouth again because of your disgrace when I have forgiven you of all that you have done. That's how he ends it. This huge long chapter graphically 
describing their sin and how evil they were and how rebellious they were and how unwilling they were to love him. And he ends it with, I will forgive all of your sin. All of it. Mm-hmm. After he got in their way, stopped them, made them think during that grace period and caused them to turn back again. Right. There's something so powerful about a God that forgiving because we don't deserve it. Man, they, we don't deserve it. No. But Steph wrote something, and it's simple, but it really hit. It hit home for me. And she wrote in the margin as a, as a note to that final verse there. And she said, punishment in this life may well lead to peace with God in the future. You think about that. Punishment leads to peace. There's something deep about that. And I think there's something very true about that. Because I agree, I think that's what happened with me. If he hadn't gotten in my way and punished me a little bit, I worry to think where I would have ended up. Right. I know where I would have ended up. And it frightens me, right? It was the punishment that led to peace with him. We need to surrender to it, though. I guess that's how I want to end this segment is he wants to make peace with us. He wants to love us. He does love us. He wants to forgive us. But we have got to submit, acknowledge, confess our wrong, and surrender to the process. Yep. And that's where I'm going to leave it because that's what we're going to talk about in the next half is the process. If you don't have anything else? Nope, I'm good. All right, so that brings us to the close of the top half of this week's episode. We're going to take a short break as usual. While we do that, we'll be playing this week's featured song, and this time it is Peace of Mind by Mike Maranatha. Hope you enjoy it. Catch you on the other side. Peace, uh, you 
me one chance, one shot. I'ma drive in the lane, mm. ain't nobody hitting no blocks. I'ma run it up court, uh, show y'all what I'm finna do. Uh, God bless this kid, mm. they was calling me a fool. Uh, I remember no one ever listened when I tried to preach a lesson in the class. They was putting me back down, they told me I would always be the last. But the last will be first, uh, oh, I'm racing to the top. Uh, I ain't never gonna stop, uh, I ain't never gonna stop. Again, that was Peace of Mind by Mike Maranatha. Thanks for listening. So, for this bottom half of the episode, it's going to be kind of a continuation from the discussion we had last week, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we kind of had to cut ourselves off yep. a little bit, as usual. I took a lot of notes on the outline thinking we could get through it in one episode, and <laughs> I'm close. We're not right. going to get through it all this episode, mm-hmm. I don't think. But and you don't necessarily have to listen to that episode to kind of, you know have a grasp on what we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. this time. But just as a, as a brief summary, I guess I started off asking what acts chapter 14, verse 22 meant to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where it says that, uh, paraphrasing it's through many persecutions that we have to enter into the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And I think we came to the same basic conclusion, right? Right. That there's, there's going to be trials. He doesn't promise an easy road. And I think those trials are refining, mm-hmm. right? Or reforming of the pot. Right. The better analogy. Man. Since we came to that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't that good? And I kind of think of, you know, and I wanted to, to read this real quick, just as an, an addendum to my position there and kind of what I mean. Because like, this verse is, it's given me a lot of comfort during those times of, I guess, correction. Mm-hmm. And it's in Daniel chapter 11. And it's verse 35, and it's a, uh, it's, it's a prophetic context, but I think it's what it's talking about is relevant for any period of time. Mm-hmm. And he says, even some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the, end of the, until the time of the end. Now, wise there is implying that these are believers, right, mm-hmm. for proper understanding. And stumbling is almost always a reference to sin. Right, yeah. to to yeah. to falling prey to your own weaknesses. Right, falter, yeah. Yes, and he's saying that he allows that to refine and purify you, right, or to make you mm-hmm. holy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, it's and it's unfortunate that this is our nature, right? But I think we have to stumble in our in our weaknesses, 
and be rescued by him to have a proper personal relationship with him. I think that's often what it takes to get our eyes off of our problem and off of our sin and onto him mm-hmm. where it should be. It takes him getting in our way. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can be taught something over and over and over again, but until you make a mistake, genuinely those lessons don't sink in. Right. Until you walk them out in the real world, then you make a mistake. Yeah. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish I just had the heart for him that I should have had for him from day one, but it's often not the case. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think that kind of describes what I'm talking about when I, when I say that what Acts 14, 22 means to me is that he'll allow us to go through those stumbles and those trials and those tribulations to make us more like him. Right. I guess more reflective of him. Right. I think also too, that goes back to our conversation in the first half of, you know, of us returning to him with pure love. Right. Like it's not, it's not fear driven that we come back to him in those situations. It's the, it's the fact that we've went through the refining and we want the love. Mm -hmm. Like we want the, we want the grace and we want the love. Absolutely. I also think it's important to note there too, that, you know, he could have just, he could have just made us, you know, perfect beings without sin and, and no, you know, I don't know, no free will at all. Mm-hmm. But, but then what kind of love would that be? What kind of love would we be able to reciprocate if we were programmed to have that perfect heart from the very beginning? Right. And I, I think <clears throat> we've talked about it on this podcast before. I know I've mentioned it on the broken record ministries podcast, shameless plug. Uh, listen to that if you if you love the sound of my voice. Right, it's but, not shameless. That's a good show. It, it is a good one. That's not shame because it's not even my podcast. I'm just right. a guest. What am I saying? Right on. You got to thank me. I should get paid royalties for that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I think uh, I think I've mentioned it here as well. But it 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 bears repeating. I don't think love can be properly defined without choice. Mm-hmm. Without a choice, I don't think it's really love. It's just programming. Right. It's not the same thing. And you really learn true love when not only you have a choice not to love, but you've walked in a way that's not loving of him. Mm-hmm. When you walk away like the prodigal did and you still make that conscious decision to come back, that's true love. Mm-hmm. It's not optimal that we walk away, but I think it, it, it is indicative of the heart he's looking for. He's looking for a heart that wants to return. Right. Sometimes we have to get to a place where we have to return to exhibit that heart. Right. Right. And I think that's what he's talking about in Daniel there. Mm-hmm. He's letting the wise stumble to see what they do. Do they choose to look to him or do they choose to fall away entirely? You know? Right. And and to really learn to really learn the truth about yourself, you have to be put in that position to have that crossroads moment. Mm-hmm. What direction are you going to go? Yep. I think it also, I think it's, and I know we've mentioned this before as well, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what he's trying to get us to do. You know, uh, beyond the love, there is love in that. But, you know, thinking about it in, in kingdom terms, right? We're seeking the kingdom of God. To do that properly, we have to seek his righteousness, which means his expectations. Right. Right. So he's purging us of rebellion. He's purging us of sin, but he has to make us aware of the sin to purge it Mm -hmm. because it's a two way street. Like, like 
He does the work. We'll get in that in a, in a minute. But it requires a response from us. We have to make a conscious effort to walk in a way that's good, to walk on a good path, mm-hmm. right? We have to be made aware of our sin to do that, though. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It means kind of, again, t- touched on the top of the first half. We can't just, you know, walk through life with a heart of, I'm going to do what I want mm-hmm. up until the very end, and then just at the very end, repent. Right. Right. It takes a repentive heart and a, and a walk of righteousness. Yes. Well, a walk to righteousness. Toward it, yes. Yeah, it's a lifelong process, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, absolutely. We need to be walking and tracking in that direction. And, you know, it goes back to that that quote from a friend of mine that I had mentioned last week or the week before. I think too often we're dipping our toe in Babylon, dipping our other toe in the kingdom and straddling the devil's fence in between. And mm-hmm. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're either all in or we're all out, right? right. He wants us all in and he's going to do whatever he can do to get us all in, even if he has to let us fall down a few times to get us there, mm-hmm. right? So obviously that led to a conversation last week on holiness, which is right. Kodesh in Hebrew. It means to be set apart. At an underlying level, that word really carries the connotation of being cut completely away from. Mm-hmm. So you're being cut completely away from the sinfulness of the world, the worldliness of the world, cut away from the enemy's ways and totally set apart to God's ways. And that obviously led to our conversation on sanctification, which is a related term. I think it's Kadash in Hebrew. It's very, very Mm -hmm. similar to holy, and it literally just means to be made holy. So it's the process by which we're made holy. We talked about that last week. So that's just the the foundational principles to understand going into this conversation, because I want to talk about that process of being made holy, right? Okay. So stated another way, holiness is the goal, sanctification is the process leading to it. Mm -hmm. Just remember that. That's that's. The really the most important thing, the most important takeaway from last week, I think, right. for this week. I think at the very end of the episode, I likened it to that 40-day principle mm-hmm. that we had discussed two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago. There was a gap of two weeks where we missed uploading mm-hmm. two episodes ago. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. I believe that's often what that 40-day rule represents. Right. That wilderness journey, I believe, is the sanctification process. And that goal is holiness. Right. Right. And sometimes we'll have to go through multiple 40-day journeys to get there. You know, right. I think life is probably, you know, one 40-day journey after another for most of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trying to, we're a little bit more holy, now let's do it again. Oh, we're a little bit more holy than we were, let's, let's do, it do it again. again. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's a stair over step. Over and over, yep. Yep. If we did it all at once, it would probably be a little too overwhelming for most of us. Yeah. I think that's his patience. So actually, I think now what I'm going to do because obviously the, the the question we're going to ask now is how do we attain that? How do we get to that that process of sanctification? How do we attain holiness? Last week, we had a bit of an off-air debate, mostly between you and my daughter, Grace. So I'm going to play a clip from that debate so those of you listening can kind of hear what I'm talking about. Okay. And then we'll be right back on the other side of it. So here it is. Dad, here's a question for you. Chicken nuggets or dino nuggets? It's the same thing. Chicken you nuggets? You know they're not made out of, like, <laughs> brontosauruses, right? It's not a triceratops thought. Chicken nuggets or dino nuggets? I would not have dino I mean, nuggets. I prefer the whimsical shapes of the dino nuggets, but... I mean, they're fun to eat. I'll give you that. It's like okay. you can pretend like you bit dino a dinosaur's nuggets. head off. Yeah, it's just fun. I will have dino nuggets. 
See, yeah, that's I know the what point. Dino nuggets. You know, but if someone says chicken nuggets, they have to go like this. Okay, I have another question for you. Okay. Dino nuggets. Dino nuggets. Because you can't have or because people will choose or, but they have to say dino nuggets. Dino nuggets. I don't understand your question. Daddy, <sighs> you say your daddy. How do you own a podcast? That's my question. Well, I always, I mean, <laughs> how do just you just record it and put it out there? <laughs> right. It was pretty easy. <laughs> bought, you bought this thing. Yeah. <laughs> daddy. Well, what my question is is so you have chicken nuggets and dino nuggets, right? Mm-hmm. But dino nuggets are chicken made in the shapes of dinosaurs. Why aren't chicken nuggets in the shape of chickens? <laughs> That's a really good question. I mean, it just makes sense. Why hasn't anybody marketed that yet? I don't know. Well, I mean, if you take it and some look like eggs. Face up. Some look like eggs. It's true. Don't touch true. that. Do not touch that. Dino Wait, what if there were... What if there is a chi- so dino nuggets which is a chicken nugget shaped in a dino dinosaur? But what if there is actual dinosaur nuggets that was in shape of chicken? That doesn't make a lot of sense. To be fair, I only came in like halfway through that sentence, and I probably made it even worse. But I doubt it was very coherent to begin. Well, she was just re- inversing what I said oh. yeah. about yeah. Okay. How, but like, there's no there's no dino nuggets that are you know or no nuggets in. Made of dinosaur meat so, in the shape of chicken. Yeah. I think it all goes back to pretty much like how the chicken nugget came about. And the way that I understand it is they pretty much put a bunch of emulsified chicken into like like what makes hot dogs. Yeah. They so took a whole so chicken it's like, feathers and all and pureed it. Yeah. So it's like it's like an extrusion, right? Yeah. But instead of. That makes it sound so, right. so good. Yeah. And then you just like slice it. At that point, it's like a log and you just slice it. So that's where the chicken nugget came into sense of the roundish shape. Because, right. you know, when you cut, you know, like hot dogs are a different thing because they're kind of, they're, they're kind of, it's like almost cooked meat. But, you know, when you cut, that extrusion it's not perfect right so but then the dino nuggets in that in that sense they just took they made the mold different that they pushed the meat through so so it should be called fried chicken purees yeah fried chicken puree the funny thing is that probably doesn't market well right no have you have you seen the episode i can't remember who it was but it was some good morning america show and there was some famous chef, like basically that his whole point is how awful kids' food is. Like mar- kid, like Dino Nuggets, right? They're mm-hmm. marketed for kids, but they're terrible because it's just like all the parts of the chicken. No, they're terrible for you. All the parts if of you the, could see a video all, of what they. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So the guy took like the chicken heads and the beaks. Well, I mean, they didn't have beaks. He removed the beaks, but like the, the feet and like all the nasty gizzard parts of the chicken that aren't really used on the chicken, chopped it all up in front of him, put it through a grinder, patted them up into small burgers or like into small nuggets, rolled them in flour, fried them. And those kids sat there and watched that happen in front of them. And at the end of it, he's like, who wants chicken nuggets? And they all of them, I do, I do. After just watching exactly what goes into it. What are they did, thinking? Didn't change my mind at all. So yes, you all, you heard that right. It was a debate on dino nuggets. Dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets. 
And just so you know, these are the sort of hard-hitting theological discussions you can expect here at that Philly Faith podcast. We only talk about the important topics here. Yes. (laughs) The most healthiest of habits. So I know that seems wildly out of place, but there's a reason I played that, because I found a way to make that debate spiritual. Awesome. The look you had on your face I'm, when I said that. I'm a, I am intrigued. <laughs> so you're ready like, for this? I'm going to pull up my chair a little oh, yeah. bit. Yeah. I'm I can't get too close to the mic. I couldn't tell if it was excitement or like disgust. Like, are you serious right now? <laughs> are you that out of ideas? We're <laughs> <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel now. No, least. no. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I mean, I'm always interested, but I'm, 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 I'm curious now. <laughs> so here's the question that I think that debate can be applied spiritually to? Does our outward appearance and behavior match our inward substance? Ooh, that is good. Isn't it good? Yeah. Chicken on the inside, dinosaur on the outside. Right. Does the inside match the outside? Because I think that's really what sanctification is about. Right. Right. All the outward things can be great. But if the inward parts aren't aligned with our outward show, it's just that, a mm. shell, and nothing more. Not real love, right? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I, I, I love that you. I love that you brought up love <laughs> in the top half of the episode because I think that's really what it's all about. Micah mentioned recently, and I think I've mentioned it before as well. It's it's very much the difference between head knowledge about God and heart knowledge for God. Right. There's a difference, and it's so hard sometimes to get it from up here in our head. I'm pointing to my head. I'm doing the same thing you do with the air quotes. It's so hard to get it from our head to our heart. Right. It really is, but it's Mm -hmm. very important. And I think that's what sanctification is all about because it starts with the heart. Outward sanctification is useless without inward sanctification. Right. It's got to start on the inside so that the inside matches the outside. And it will be a process. It'll take time. But it's got to start with the heart. Because, you know, I'll be transparent. I tried walking tried walking the outward show road for a long time. Just the head knowledge. That's all I had. And you can put on a good show for a while and you can even fool yourself because I had myself very well, well deceived. Right. Mm -hmm. But eventually when your heart isn't good and it's not aligned with him, like it should be, it's going to bleed through. It's inevitable. It may take weeks. It may take months. You might be really, really disciplined and it might take years, but eventually it will bleed through. And it did for me. And that's when I hit my rock bottom. And that's when he showed me, son, <laughs> the inside substance ain't matching the outward shell. We've right. got to fix this. And things change then. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's what I think of the the danger with a lot of new Christians, especially, is they they expect that um, you know, they expect or they think that without all that head knowledge, they're not, you know, as strong of a Christian or they're not as in grace as everybody else in the church is. Mm -hmm. When in all actuality, I mean, it has to start with your heart. If, if you get your heart aligned, the head knowledge will come. Right. You'll have, because you'll have a, you'll have a a thirst, if you will, to, to gain more of that head knowledge. Because as you, as your, if your heart's in the right way, you'll eventually walk out that life that leads you to that head knowledge. Yes, right? exactly. You'll, 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 
you'll you'll seek it you'll put yourself in you know in the right environment and those seeds will grow mm-hmm. right so i mean it's just you know you're constantly finding that that fertile soil and that that head that head knowledge will come right well i've known i've known people that did know very little biblically speaking right they don't have a, a massive reservoir of like highbrow intellectual knowledge they're great people you know what i mean like they're their behavior is amazing. Mm-hmm. Their heart is so good and you can see it. You could feel it when you're around them. Then I've known other people that they have a lot of knowledge. You know, they can spout off Hebrew and Greek to you all day long and be 100% factually correct, but their behavior just downright sucks. Mm-hmm. They're a dino on the outside, some cheap chicken puree on the inside. <laughs> and it doesn't take you long before right. you recognize that that's an issue. You know, that heart knowledge has got to come first. Head knowledge is good, right? You know, it can lead to, to some very good conversations. It can lead to some pretty powerful seeds planted. But the most powerful seed you're going to plant is showing people how much you genuinely, truly care because you have the love of Christ in you. Right. And just having some knowledge and having some outward show doesn't prove the love of Christ. Right. The Pharisees had that to a degree. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. A lot of people throughout history have had that and they weren't good. Right. It it matters. Yeah, you can, I mean, you can pour out all the knowledge onto somebody that you want to, but if you're not pouring out love, your message ain't going to get through. No. If you're trying, if you're truly trying to reach somebody and win them to the Lord, head knowledge isn't going to do it. It's having your heart in the right place and, and pouring out God's love onto that person. That's, I mean, that's what, that's what wins people over. Yes. Exactly. Are truly wins people over. So to that end of, of, of that topic, you know, the, the difference between the outward, the outward show and the inward substance, I think we're going to read the third chapter of Philippians. I mentioned that earlier because I think this is where, I think we can extrapolate that what, what Paul is describing, I guess what I'm trying to say, what I mentioned earlier about that, that under grace reference. And I'll, I'll have a point to this, but I think I think this is where we can kind of see what he's really getting at here mm-hmm. with what what does it mean to be under grace? And it's not being lawless. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But I think we'll just read the whole chapter, though. Like I could narrowly focus on a couple verses to make that point, but I think we'll just read the whole chapter because there's some good nuggets in here and we can we can stop. I didn't even do that on purpose. Nuggets. <laughs> Man, if you hadn't given me that look. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying not to break, but I was like. Good dino nuggets. I wish I could say that was intentional, but it wasn't. All right. It wasn't intentional. But there are some good nuggets in here. And uh we'll just read it through. Just stop me wherever you wanna you wanna discuss, and then we'll we'll round back and close out this segment at the end and kind of okay. drive that point home of what I'm how this applies to sanctification in my view. So starting at the top, verse one. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To keep writing the same things to you is not troublesome for me, but for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. By mutilation, he's talking about the circumcision group. And I think it's important to understand he's not preaching against circumcision per se. If that was the case, then he would have condemned, I think it was Timothy to hell when he had him circumcised when they when they traveled to Jerusalem. I can't remember what chapter that is in the book of Acts, but that would be a wild contradiction here. This is a group, they, they were trying to get people 
back under the law in the sense that they were seeking their own salvation through their own efforts outwardly. Mm-hmm. Talking about what we're talking about here, the difference between outward show and inward substance. Right. They had it out of order. So I just want to clarify that before we, we move on here. So starting up again in verse 3, For it is we who are the circumcision who worship by the Holy Spirit and glory in Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and have not depended on the flesh, though I myself might have confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he might depend on the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting Messiah's community, as for law, as, as for law righteousness found blameless. I'm just going to pause there. He's explaining what I just what I just explained. He's mm-hmm. saying that if, if we could earn our own salvation, nobody would have earned it, earned it more effectively than me. It's what Paul is essentially saying there. If we could earn our own way right. to heaven, I've done it. He's not necessarily preaching against these acts of righteousness. He's saying that they're not enough. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. Nothing is enough. Mm-hmm. Right. One isn't enough without the other. Exactly. Right. We're all sinners. Right. And all it takes is one sin to separate us from God. That's all it takes. James makes that clear in his letter. Mm-hmm. If you've sinned once, you if you've sinned against one of these laws, you've sinned against them all. Yep. Again, I, I forget that I'm just referencing that off the top of my head. I'm not good at chapters and verses. I apologize, listeners. It's just not me. But I can I can tell you what it said. It's in the book of James. It's not that long. You can find it. <laughs> but, right. but what's interesting there, though, for those that would use this grace law dichotomy as an excuse to disregard the law, James does tell us that sinning once against the law separates you from God. Right. But he also uses the laws against adultery and murder to make that point. So does that mean that we can commit adultery and commit murder? Clearly not what what James is saying. Right. And it's clearly not what Paul is saying. What they are saying, though, is that we are all born to fallen flesh. We are all born to a fallen Adam. We are all guilty of, of sin that separates. And we can't reconcile ourselves back to God. Only Jesus can do that. Right. Only him, the Most High, coming down to earth in our form and paying the penalty that we couldn't afford can reconcile us back. That doesn't mean that we have license to sin now. It just means that we couldn't earn our way by being exceptionally righteous moving forward. Right. That's all he's saying. Yep. Just want to make that clear. And that's why I wanted to read this chapter, because I think we get this, uh, what's the right word? I might give myself the music here, just to be fair to you. I don't think I'm going to be able to think of the word. Now, just the comparison. I was trying to think of a different word, but he, he compares the idea of of trying to earn your own way with depending upon Jesus for our salvation. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not law versus grace. Right. It's it's how we attain to salvation is what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Yep. So starting up again at verse seven. But whatever things were gained to me, these I have considered as loss for the sake of the Messiah. More than that, I consider all things to be lost in comparison to the surpassing value of the knowledge of Messiah Jesus, my Lord, 
because of him I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them garbage, in order that I might gain Messiah, and be found in him, not having my righteousness derived from the law, but one that is through trusting in Messiah. The righteousness from God based on trust. See, that's important what he's saying there. He's saying that, that reconciliation comes by trusting in the one that reconciled us. Right. That's what he's saying. He's saying that before he met Jesus, he trusted in himself to save himself. After he met Jesus, he trusted in him. You see the difference? Right. What he's contra- contrasting. That's the word. It just hit me all of a sudden right there. Contrasting. Ooh, I am going to give myself the music at this. Oh, man, that's disgusting. <laughs> he's contrasting depending upon your own efforts to save you and depending upon the completed work of Christ to save you. Right. Verse 10, my aim is to know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, if somehow I might arrive at the resurrection from among the dead. I just want to pause on that one too. As a side note, I believe he carried the guilt of his sin with him throughout his life. Mm -hmm. Because we know, you know, he trusted, he believed. Right. Right. He was saved. But he's implying here that he struggled believing that he was. Right. That's what I get out of this. I think he was, I think, I think, I think Paul struggled with what I've struggled with. I have an easier time believing others are saved, even when they've objectively sinned worse than me, than believing I am. Because I'm so disappointed in myself for letting him down. And I really think that we get a glimpse into Paul feeling the same hurt. In right. the same guilt here that I, I believe he struggled with that. I actually believe, and that's what I was going to mention earlier, but I, I stopped in the top half as a rabbit tra- as a rabbit chase. I think that might have been the thorn in his side. He mentioned mm-hmm. at, at one point in his letters, I have this thorn in my side, a messenger from Satan, he called it. And he asked Jesus to take it from him. He asked the father to, to, to take it. And the response was, my grace is sufficient for you. In my opinion, I believe the thorn was his his struggle with doubt. Right. Doubting his own worthiness. Right. Not doubting Yeshua. No. And that's Jesus. Not not doubting God. Doubting his own worth. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, that just goes to show like, and we've talked about this before, that his the devil's tools are the same. Mm-hmm. They're the same as they were then as they are now. He uses doubt against us. He does. You know, all the time, even if, even if we, you know, even if we've repented of that sin and we try, we try and, you know, we know we're forgiven, he'll still give us that guilt of, but you did it. Yes. You're forgiven, but you did it. But also too, I think, and, and, and this is where I, where, you know, where you said that, that God says, well, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't think God wants us to to wallow in our in our shortcomings and 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 be hard on ourselves and that's why he says that remember when you get to this place remember my grace is enough for you but he just doesn't take it away from us because it it gives us a contrast of of what our life was and what it is now and right. what we don't want it to be and what we do want it to be yes Right. Because he could easily just boom. All right. It's 
you're forgiven, it's taken out of your mind. But how more apt would we be willing to fall back into that if we didn't have that contracting or that contradicting aspect, right? I think it's very similar to what we talked about with love earlier, that love isn't properly defined without a choice. I think it's very similar with trust. Mm -hmm. Trust isn't trust if we don't struggle with doubt. You know what I mean? If, If the struggle with doubt doesn't exist, Trust isn't really a thing. It's just a default. Mm-hmm. It's a default state that everybody shares. Trust is is defined because doubt is something that we struggle with. And mm-hmm. you see that with, you know, some of the greatest, greatest people accounted to us in the text. You know, David struggled with it. He, t- he talked about God, you know, God help me with my anxious thoughts. And anxiousness is doubt. Right. Right. It's it's not something I would call, it's something we struggle with. And I think David's a similar story where I, I believe that he probably struggled with the guilt of his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba long after he was forgiven. He mm-hmm. was told he was forgiven for it, but that doesn't remove the guilt. It doesn't remove the shame per se, and it doesn't remove the struggle to to bring that knowledge, that head knowledge of forgiveness down into heart knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard. That was the hardest struggle for me. The most difficult struggle for me was was getting, and I still I'll, I'll be honest and transparent. I still struggle sometimes getting that head knowledge of God promises forgiveness to those that repent, and truly believing that, mm-hmm. getting that down into heart knowledge. It's hard, and I think we have evidence here that that Paul struggled with it, just like I think we have evidence that David did. Mm-hmm. That thorn in the side reference, by the way, I wanted to make sure I gave you the references to Corinthians chapter twelve. I'm not going to read it, but I wanted to to make sure that I mm-hmm. I stated where that comes from. Like I say, I I personally believe it's just my personal belief. I think that was his thorn. Right. So let's start back up in where was I? Verse twelve. Yes. Not that I have already obtained this or been perfected, but I press on, if only I might take hold of that for which Messiah Jesus took hold of me. I think he's talking about what we just talked about. You know, it's an ongoing process of purification Mm -hmm. is, you know, sanctification, you know, our sanctification to be made more and more holy is an ongoing lifelong process. And I think that's what he's talking about here. I don't think, I don't think this verse is so much talking about his doubt anymore. I think it's more talking about the fact that we were engaging in a, in a work. He's doing a work in us to sanctify us Mm -hmm. and it's going to take time. And it's unlikely that any of us will finish it in this life. It'll be something that we'll, we'll, we'll have to engage in the process throughout our life here on earth. Mm-hmm. I believe is what he's saying here. But we have to engage in the process, right? Right. Continuing in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself as having taken hold of this, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal for the renew- for the reward of the upward calling of God and Messiah Jesus. Again, I think you see his struggle with believing that he was forgiven. Yeah. I don't know how you could read that any other way. And just read that again. I do not consider myself as having taken hold of this. I think he believed other people had, but he struggled to believe he had. Mm-hmm. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I think he's talking to himself there, saying you've got to stop looking back. I right. think the enemy wants us to look back at our mistakes and look back at our sin. I think maybe that's what he was struggling with because mm-hmm. let's be real when when the doubt creeps in it's it starts with the enemy getting you to look back at what you've done. Right. If you would just refuse to look back 
it would be much more difficult for him to plant seeds of doubt. Yep. It's when you look back at what you've done wrong. Right. That's when it hits. Yep. You run you run a lot faster forward when you're looking forward than looking back. <laughs> yeah, you trip a lot fewer times too. Yep. Okay. Uh verse 15. Mm-hmm. Therefore let all who are mature have this attitude. And if you have a different attitude in anything, this also God will reveal to you. Again, kind of what we talked about earlier, the sanctification. He has to allow you to stumble to show you what you're weak to stumbling to. Mm -hmm. He'll reveal it. Sometimes he'll let you trip in it to reveal it, to remove it. Right? Right. But we have to trust in that. Nevertheless, let us live up to the same standard we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in following my example and notice those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk who are enemies of the cross of Messiah. I have often told you about them, and now I am even weeping as I tell you. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. I think he's describing individuals there that don't really believe at all. They're using Jesus as a means to advance themselves. Mm -hmm. They could repent, but what he's telling us here is if they don't repent, They're headed toward a real rough end. Verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. He will transform, it's an important word, He will transform this humble body of ours into the likeness of His glorious body through the power that enables Him even to put all things in subjection to Himself. That's the end of the chapter. I think that word transform is probably the most important word to focus on there. And I know he's talking about, ultimately, he's talking about the resurrected state that we'll live in. Mm -hmm. But I believe that lifelong process of sanctification Paul describes there can can be most effectively defined as transformation. Right. He's taking you from one state of being and bringing you to another state of being, from unholiness to holiness. Right. Right. But I think that I think the important takeaway between that and that Romans reference from chapter six, Romans chapter six that we that we cited earlier, it's not the standard of righteousness or holiness that changes, right? The Father defines holiness from His perspective in the law. There's no getting around that, right? There's there's really no rational argument against that. If he says something is holy, there's no reason to believe he would just change his mind later. If something's holy for the Jew, it's holy for anybody. It doesn't make sense that something would be holy or unholy for this people group, but perfectly acceptable or unacceptable for this people group. There's no no reason to believe the script would be flipped depending upon what your birthright was. It makes no sense from God's perspective. He's not human. Mm -hmm. It's either holy or it's not. Right? right? And if he's an unchanging and fair and just God, that standard would, would apply universally. Mm-hmm. So the standard of holiness is unchanging. And, and he gives us that defined standard of holiness in the covenant, right? right. M- most particularly the Sinai covenant, you know, a, a good foundation of understanding is, again, I've referenced it repeatedly. It's important to read it. It's important for Christians to understand it. Exodus 19 through 31. That's the standard of holiness that he gives us, mm-hmm. right? I think the important thing to understand what Paul's describing here, and I think you see him address this repeatedly throughout his letters, 
but but you you really get it kind of condensed down here in this third chapter of Philippians. It's what he's describing in Romans in a more fleshed out way. It's what he's describing to the Galatians in a more fleshed out way, but also to a group of people that were stumbling a lot harder, which is why you see the the harshness of tone with him there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe we'll dig, dig into Galatians at some point because it's really important to understand what specific heresies and stumbling blocks he was dealing with there to understand what he's really saying. Because the reason I mentioned Galatians, that's the most cited letter from Paul to justify disobeying the Father. Right. The most cited letter is Galatians. And it's because there's zero real understanding and proper handling of what he's actually dealing with in the context of Galatia there. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to get into that right now. But again, what we're seeing here in a condensed way in the third chapter of Philippians is Paul's not talking about whether or not the standard of righteousness has changed. He's not talking about whether or not the code of holiness is different depending on, upon whether your your mother was Jewish or Greek. Mm-hmm. What he's talking about is the means by which we attain to holiness. That's what he's talking about, the means to attaining righteousness. And the difference in means, the contrasting means is you're either trying under your own efforts to attain to righteousness or you're surrendering yourself in trust to the Messiah to transform your heart. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yep. The circumcision party was trying to outwardly be holy by their own efforts without transforming the inward substance. Mm-hmm. The believers were trusting in the Messiah to transform their inward substance to be made holy so that their outward behavior would become holy. Right. The holiness is the same. It's the exact same. The difference is if you allow yourself to be transformed, the holiness on the outside flows from a holy transformed heart. Mm-hmm. That's what he's describing here. Right. It's what he describes in Romans chapter 6. It's what he's describing here. Just like it says in Romans chapter 6, what then, should I, should I sin now because I'm under grace? Of course not. Of course not. That's nonsense. We don't have a license to sin. What he's saying is we have salvation that's not according to our own efforts. We never could have reconciled ourselves. We owed a, a penalty that we couldn't pay. Only he could do that. Right. He paid the price. And once he paid the price, if we surrender to the process, then he changes us from the inside out and makes us holy. He causes us to walk in his ways. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But his ways are the same. I know I'm repeating myself over and over again, but right. it's a centuries old no. lie and it bears repeating. And it's really right. hard to, I know it's really hard to grasp this and it's hard to accept it because it's just what we've always believed. It's what we've always been taught. It's what we've been taught for hundreds and hundreds of years. But just because a lie is old doesn't make it right. Right. Just because a lie was told by really important, well-respected men doesn't make it right. right. The Bible says what the Bible says. Right. I think it's important to, um, I think it's important to pay attention to the word they use. The beware of the the mutilation, mm-hmm. mutilator the the mutilators of their own body. Yeah. Because in that sense, he's saying, as you're saying, these these people don't have a heart for me. So therefore, the circumcision is simply for an outward show. Right. So these people are so willing to prove on the outside that that they that that they are saved or that they have 
or that they follow the law or that they have the heart, that they would mutilate their bodies. Mm-hmm. Because without the heart, the circumcision doesn't mean nothing at this point. Exactly. Right? So, and that's where I kind of, I know circumcision in today is kind of mixed up with medical cleanliness and stuff. It's muddied. The yeah, are muddied. Yeah, but yeah. at this but at this point it was an outward show of of your inward heart. Right? Yes. So in skipping the inward transformative heart section, you're basically having somebody that's willing to go, well, I'm, I don't really believe this in my heart, but I want other people to believe it. So I'm going to mutilate my body. Yeah. Because that's what it is at that point. Like self-mutilation. A, it turns into a boast. Right. It's almost like you're using exactly. it to get people to, to, you're puffing yourself up and, and getting people to say, hey, look how righteous that guy right. is. It, it's no different than, than, than the, the people that would, you know, star themselves and rub, and rub ash on their bodies to, to mm-hmm. show that they were, you know, to, to be more, look at me, I'm, I'm sacrificing this, you know, and that's what he's saying here is, you know, be, be wary of those people that would go so far as to mutilate themselves. Yes. Because I mean, that's going to lead you astray. Yeah. I think that comparison of, of the fasting is perfect, is perfect for what Paul's talking about here. Right. You know, I, I forget where that's at, but it's, it, Jesus talked about that when you mm-hmm. fast, don't don't make yourself all disheveled and and stand on the street corner and say oh look at me I'm so miserable I'm yeah, fasting I'm oh doing yeah this I'm for so the Lord. righteous. You're yeah. not really doing it for Him. That's what the point He's making. You know, wash your face, act normal, do it for God. Mm-hmm. If you if you're gonna fast, do it for God. He sees you, and if you're really doing it for God, you wouldn't need other people to see you do it. Right. That's what He's saying. Yep. He's talking about the inward substance there. Mm-hmm. If you really love God and you're obeying Him because you love God, you wouldn't care if other people saw it. I think right. it's sort of like some people I, I, you know, I know of that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make a big obnoxious outward show of doing the Sabbath, the proper seventh day Sabbath, you know, and, and acknowledging that and then practically spit on their brother and sister on Sunday. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, you should be doing the Sabbath. I agree. But you should also be loving your neighbor. That's probably the way to your matter. Right. And if you're, if, if you're doing the outward show to bring attention to yourself, but you have no love, you might as well just ignore the Sabbath. Might as well right. just stop doing it because your outward show doesn't mean anything to him anymore. Yep. He's not going to account that to you as righteousness, right? Yep. Even your righteousness is going to be disregarded because you were so ugly, because your heart wasn't changed. Right. Again, I, you know, repeatedly Paul talks about this, understanding the difference between trying to attain righteousness outwardly under our own efforts and allowing him to transform us. Now, mm-hmm. it requires a response. Don't get me wrong. It does require some effort on our part. But it's a responsive effort, right? We don't engage in the in that. He's the one that does the work through us, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And as he does the work, we respond to him. Mm-hmm. That's our that's our job. You remember last week we talked about uh, Isaiah 40, 31, that wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Mm-hmm. They'll, soar on, they'll soar on eagles' wings. Right. And we dug into that word, wait, debah. And it's and it's and it's, it's it's eager expectation in that context of waiting on Yahweh. It's an eager expectation that He's going to act with the intent of springing into action when He does. Right. That's sort of what this is here. We trust that He's going to transform us. We trust in Him. We eagerly expect Him to do it because we know He will. He promised He will. But we have to be ready to spring into action when He starts the process or when He presses us and says, "Okay, I've done this part. Now I need you to do this." Mm-hmm. I've purified this part of your heart. Now I need you to outwardly do this. 
then we can engage in the next step, right? He's going to, he's going to, he's going to walk along with us in the process. We have to be willing to walk with him too. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. And that will lead to righteousness mm-hmm. as he defines it, right? right? I don't care what doctrine says. That will lead you to his definition of righteousness if you're fully engaged in the process and not just engaged in having your ear tickled at church on Sunday. Yep. Because those are two different things. Church will not sanctify you. Only God can. But you have to engage in the process and understand where the process is leading you. That's why this is so important. Mm-hmm. We have to understand where it's leading or we're going to miss the boat. Absolutely. I think that's about all I had. I have one more reference that I'll kind of kind of talk about. Do you want to do you want to give your final thought first? You want to end the episode on your final thought. I can do my my reference and you can you said you had a really good one. Kind of well, you want to end the maybe. episode with it? Well, nah, maybe it's not episode ending. Um, but <laughs> you got to have some faith in yourself, man. No, I mean it's Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll save it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do the the post post wrap up. All right, sounds good. So I just kind of want to mention, and this is one of my favorite references in all of scripture. It's uh, it's Zechariah chapter three, and it's a perfect picture of what we're talking about here. That you know, this process, understanding that God doesn't move toward us in our unholiness, God moves us toward Him in His holiness. Right? That's always how how it is. And in Zechariah chapter three, we have a picture of. The prophet, or not prophet, the high priest, uh, Joshua mm-hmm. was his name. And he was an actual guy, right? I, you know, you can, you can dive into the weeds on what this represented spiritually. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a physical representation of a spiritual issue, but I want to focus on the man, the, the, the prophet, or I keep saying prophet, the, the priest, Joshua, the man, because I think it's representative of what we're talking about here. And, uh, let me, let me bring it up real quick on my, on my tablet that Chris hates me using. I don't, where do you think that I hate you? <laughs> I don't say hate, hate me. Bro, well, hate no. Me using it. No, I don't, I don't, I don't at all. Oh no, you had some pretty negative things to say that one episode about it. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> There's pros and cons to, to both. I can't say a whole lot because I have, you know, the old school pad and paper that I leave everywhere. So I mean, <laughs> right. I'd probably be less le- less apt to leave an iPad laying around than I would a pad of paper. <laughs> Fair so. enough. <laughs> so at least you have your pad of paper, as it were. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. So it's a really short chapter. I wasn't going to read the whole thing, but I forgot that it's only 10 verses. We might as well. But uh, I'm going to read the first part first because it shows that 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 transformation aspect we're talking about and then the second half shows where it should lead it's a it's a perfect picture of exactly what we've been talking about this episode it really is and it starts out like this zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 then he showed me joshua the high priest standing before the angel of yahweh and satan standing at his right hand to accuse him yahweh said to satan yahweh rebukes you satan Indeed, Yahweh, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. Is not this man a brand plucked out of the fire? I love that. I love the imagery here. Because that implies that he was refining Joshua. A brand plucked out of the fire. Mm -hmm. It it, it immediately brings images of refinement to me. Right. right? And Satan's accusing this guy. 
Uh, let, let me round back. Though. Let me read this next part, and then we'll round back. Okay. Verse 3 says, Now Joshua was wearing filthy garments and standing before the angel who answered and spoke to those standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Then to Joshua he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and will dress you with fine clothing. Let me stop there. We've talked about that imagery before. What does the filthy garments represent? Sin. His sinfulness. What do the clean garments represent? God's righteousness. His holiness. Who did the cleaning? Who pulled the filthy garments off of him? It was God. And cleansed and and, and clothed him in his righteousness. What I found, what I find, go ahead. I would say his father, not unlike the father from the prodigal son that Yes. That reclothed him in clean clothes when he came home. Mm-hmm. And I believe I, I believe the angel of Yahweh here is probably Yeshua. Yeah. Right. And it, it's awesome, too, that just as a side note, Joshua is probably the proper, not probably it is, y- Yeshua's actual name in Hebrew would have been Yeshua. That properly renders out to Joshua in English. We mm-hmm. get Jesus because of it going through multiple languages. It's, it's innocent how it, how it became Jesus, but it probably should be Joshua. So we have right. Joshua the high priest, the same name. Like I say, you can really get into the weeds. For just being a 10-verse chapter, you could dissect this for an hour probably. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that right now, but it's it's awesome. Maybe we'll do that another time. But what I find compelling about this part, and then we'll skip to the end um, so I can show how this contrasts to what we're talking about. I believe Satan's accusations are true. I find that very compelling. Mm-hmm. Satan's accusing this guy of being a sinner. Right. We're told explicitly he's wearing filthy garments. He is a sinner. Satan's not lying, I don't think. Right. I think he's pointing out the actual sins that he had tricked this guy into committing. Mm-hmm. And what's Yahweh's response? I rebuke you. Essentially, what Yahweh tells Satan is, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care that it's true because I love him. Right. And he loves me and I'm going to fix him. Yep. And there's nothing you can do about it. He's All, mine. Yep, he's mine. Your deception accomplished nothing. All your deception did was lead Joshua to the place where he can see me rescue him from you. And I think often that's often that's what he does. I think he'll allow the enemy to trick us, trip us sometimes, trick us too, so that we can see the Father swoop in and rescue us, so that we can see mm-hmm. for ourselves, our own eyes, how intensely he truly does love us. Because sometimes we do need to see. You know, we should reach the point where we can live, we can walk by faith, but he understands that sometimes we have to see it. Sometimes, that you know, just as a side note, I'm sorry, I'm getting off into the, into the trails a lot. Something that's been coming up for, for Steph and I both a lot is the Red Sea incident. Yeah. When, when the people are being let out from in the Exodus, right. and they're being pursued by the Egyptian army. And you know, the, the, the movie with Charlton Heston has done a lot of damage to our understanding of that. We think that he just slammed his staff into the sea. It divided in just a few seconds. They crossed over and that was it. But what actually happens is they come up to the banks of the Red Sea. They're probably a lot further south, too, than typically we, we place that on the map. It's probably as far south on the peninsula as you can get, which means their backs were against the wall. They had nowhere else to go. There's mm-hmm. nowhere else. If they're, if they're far south in that peninsula, they can't go anywhere else. There's nowhere else to cross. They are completely trapped, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Britons at Dunkirk. They have nowhere to go. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And they see the Egyptian army coming down upon them. They see this. They have, the, they have their back to the sea. 
and they can see the Egyptian army coming, and they panic. And I think God let them get backed up into a corner on purpose because he wanted them to see the enemy coming to destroy them so they could also see the next event that it talks about when he puts his hand down and creates a supernatural barrier that kept the Egyptian army from advancing forward. I don't know what that barrier looked like, but it, it says that he held them back so that the people could see him rescue them and then made them wait all night long while he blew an east wind onto the river to make it divide out. Mm -hmm. He made them sit there and watch him rescue them from a very visible threat all night long. I think that's why often he has us face our giants. It's not because he expects us to fight them and win. It's because he wants us to see how intensely he loves us and how willing he is to rescue us. And he is. We just have to trust him. But where does it lead? Now skip down to verse 7 and it says this. This is after he, he closed Joshua in the clean robes. And I'll turn it over to you and we'll, okay. we'll end this episode. Thus says Yahweh of hosts. He's talking to Joshua. If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, my commandments, then you will judge my house and watch over my courts and I will give you a place to walk among these standing here. Listen well, Joshua chief priest. Both you and your companions seated before you, because they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Then he gives him a prophecy about Jesus. That's what the, who the branch is. Mm-hmm. So where does it lead? He does the work. He transforms the heart. He takes away the iniquity. He forgives our sin. But where should it lead? It should lead to us willingly surrendering ourselves to walk in his ways. Yeah. To at least trying to stop sinning. It's where it leads. It's not, it's not a license to sin, right? He moves us toward him and his holiness. He does not move himself toward us and our unholiness right. and keep us there. Can't stress that enough. He does the work. But we have to respond. I give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So, you know, we talked about, you know, the a, a broken pot or broken jar. Yes. That's, you know. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to assume that's, you know, pre-firing, right? Yeah. So it's still, do you know how we take those, those bits of, of broken pieces and, you know, the pieces that have been ground into powder and we, and how we get that back into formidable clay? Do I know how it works? Yeah, do you, I, I right. don't. The last time I touched clay, I was in grade school. Bro. Well, I was going no to say, I was, in, I was wondering if you remember from high school art or whatever. Nope, I don't. So basically, I, I mean, it's, it all has to do, it all has to do with water. Okay. So, I mean, you know, pre-firing, you can put those broken pieces and dust and all that stuff back into water and it softens them to where it can be remolded. Right? Yeah. So, I cannot help but think that is not so poetic that, I mean, the Bible says God is our whole, is, is our, living our, whole, water. our living water. He, he is pouring himself onto us to soften us, to reshape us. But we have to let that water in. We have to be thirsty for that water. You have to accept that water to be reshaped. I love it. What a great way to end it. To those of you on the other side of the mic, thank you so much for listening and including us in your day. 
before you go, don't forget to follow our podcast, leave a positive review, and click the bell icon to be notified whenever we upload new episodes. Also, feel free to join us on social media and share any feedback, questions, or discussion ideas you might have. Links are in the description. As always, we pray this has been a blessing to you and a light pointing only ever to Him. This has been that Philly Faith Podcast, encouraging you to keep your feet steady upon the path, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and pursue that Philly Faith. Until next time, Shalom. God bless. Singing glory, yeah. Amen. Singing glory.